The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined by my usual co-host, John Sheeran. John, Happy New Year. How are you, sir? Happy New Year to you as well. I feel like I feel like Bevo running out of that cage right, right up to Ugga right now. I feel, I feel like I can want to run through a wall based on the past three days. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know if I got all that reference, but... Uh, oh, you, you can see the... the Texas mascot. He was like, "Oh, oh I got gotcha. you." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, let's just start it off. Huge, huge, huge news, John. The Cincinnati Bengals lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week Seven. I'm just kidding. That's not the huge news, but that that is news. But that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis is officially out as the Cincinnati Bengals head coach. And uh, despite my little lack of humor there, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the names linked to the Bengals, uh, both inside and outside of the organization. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of intriguing names that are popping up. Uh, a lot of names that bring a lot of different emotions from fans. So um, we'll talk about those. We'll talk about Marvin Lewis's legacy. We'll talk. We'll talk a lot of st- a lot of stuff about the coaching situation in Cincinnati right now. And uh, we'll also be taking some questions at the end of the show. So you can leave those in the live YouTube chat. You can leave them at in the uh, the comment thread at cincyjungle.com. You can also call or text us at nine four nine five four two six two four one. Calls uh, will be taking it towards the end of the show, but texts we can take throughout. So uh, call or text us throughout the show if you would like. Um, well, text us throughout the show. Call at the end if you would, if you want would like. Um, and then we'll also uh, be scanning the our, our Twitter at Bengals OBI if you want to send us a question there. Do so. We appreciate the support. And as always, you can get this show if you are unable to join us live. You can get it on CincyJungle.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher. Google Play, Art19, and uh, our YouTube channel. So subscribe to our feeds, subscribe to our channels. We appreciate it. John, it happened. 
It happened. Uh, Marvin Lewis, after 16 years as the Bengals head coach, is out of Cincinnati. Um, it's, it's surreal. It, it really is. It really is. It sounds it, – some of it sounds like it might be a mutual parting. Um, I think some of that might be the Bengals doing Lewis a little bit of a favor, um, kind of saving face there. Look, he had three straight losing seasons after that – basically tying a franchise best season in terms of regular season re- uh, record in 2015. Things have not been the same since they lost that wild card game against the Steelers that year. Um, player attrition. I don't think the team has emotionally rebounded. Um, first of all, let's just start with, were you surprised because he did have a year left on the contract? Were you surprised that the Bengals did not bring him back? I was because he had that extra year and because i just basically, like, I, I would have always been surprised when it actually happened because I just expected it because, like, we're, we're so snake-bitten as a fan base that we just don't expect them to do the logical thing. And there, and, and this wasn't just the only year where it would have been justified to let go of Marvin Lewis, you know, back in t- after that 2013 wildcard loss, even even way before then, like the, the, the 2010 disaster when they had that reset. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people, including myself, one of them gone after the Steelers collapse. And at that point, I think that was like the, the pinnacle time for him to just leave. And just the last three seasons have, have all provided good cases for them to just start afresh. So when they continue to just keep bringing him back, it just, you know, got came to my conclusion that he's just here for as long as he wants to be. And if the case was that he decided to step down and had a mutual agreement with, with Mike Brown, then I guess that point stands. But the initial news that you know originally broke when we heard about this was that it was Mike Mike's, Mike Brown's decision, and then and then I guess Lewis kind of just accepted that and just kind of went with it. So yeah, based off just what we initially heard, I was shocked because at, there was just a certain point where I just wasn't ever expecting it to happen, at least you know not in the in the near future. And you know they would have continued to you know suffer under his you know. L- lack of you know ability as a head coach in you know his 16 years, but it, 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 still this is the Bengals and they just kind of do their own thing in, in the way that they want to do it. So for them to actually do the smart thing, you know, at this point there, there's almost a slight benefit of the doubt that you have to give to Mike Brown at, at this point. And credits, credits do or credits do, and it's just not something that I expected to say about Mike Brown at this point. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about. Uh you know, Mike Brown management, uh, where our faith level is. We'll talk about that a little later in the show as well. But you mentioned, interestingly enough, in the same sentence, you mentioned the the word suffer and Marvin Lewis in, in the same sentence. And that has to bring up the question of his legacy with Cincinnati, right? I mean, that it, there's a lot of good things on his resume as the, as the team's head coach, but highest in – uh, most wins by head coach, I, I think, in team history. Um, I think winning percentage uh, is is one of, if not the tops. I, I'd, I'd have to look at it again. But, I mean, it's definitely up there. Um, seven Pro Bowl appearances. Like I said, he had that franchise tying 12-4 and four record in, in um, 20, 2015. So, I mean, there's a lot of nice bullet points on his resume as the Bengals head coach. But – there's also the, the 0-7 playoff record. We, we know a lot of the stuff. So, John, what do you, in terms of his legacy, what do you think that is? And I, just before you answer, I just want to throw out a couple of other little caveats. You saw after the news broke about Marvin Lewis, Giovanni Bernard spoke to, I believe it was Bengals.com, saying basically 
Some of the guys in the locker room viewed him as a father figure. You, you heard Chad, Chad Ochocinco say that on, um, you know, Hard Knocks and uh, other stuff, uh, other other times. Uh, Vontez Perfect had said that in the past. And then you, you get examples like Cat Terrell of ESPN uh, Cincinnati talking, uh, relaying a nice story um, with with her and, and obviously the impact Marvin Lewis had in the community. So, I mean, it, it, that's I, the reason I bring all of that up is because you got to take all of that into account, I think. When you when you talk about Marvin Lewis and the Bengals, like there, there's no denying that at the end of the day, Marvin is a good guy. He's a good human being, and you know most of the media, like Cat Terrell, and the vast majority of his players would have nothing but good things to say about him because we all know him as a player's coach. We all know that he's grown you know tight relationships with most of his guys, and that's why we've we've had a lot of you know veterans and you know second and third contract players come back to, to Cincinnati, and sometimes that was a benefit, sometimes that was a detriment. But just naturally, when you have a guy for 16 seasons, um, most of the good gets overpassed by the bad if you just never succeed past a certain point. If you never eclipse your, you know, if you suffer from the Peter principle where you've maximized your ability and, you know, you basically capped out as whatever position that, that you're holding. And he did that, you know, like a handful of years ago. And the longer he stayed, the more you felt that the good was being overshadowed by the bad because they were slowly devolving into the very thing that the, that he brought them out of. And that's the one thing that a mm. lot of his, his supporters would always defend him saying, if it wasn't for Marvin Lewis, the Bengals would still be, you know, the, stuck in the nineties and be, and be that team that was the Browns before the Browns ended up becoming what they were. So he definitely saved them from themselves. He took them from a certain point and got them to another certain point, but a coach like Marvin Lewis, who is a good coach in his own right, and will go down as a as a an average to a slightly above average coach. But whenever you know he would succeed as a division, uh, you know, winning the division, going to the playoffs, and it, even going even beyond that, it was always a sense that he would over overachieve, and the Bengals themselves would overachieve because they were never really primed to do anything special under Marvin Lewis because he just wasn't that caliber of a coach. Now, again, for a team that wasn't the position like that the Bengals were, Marvin Lewis was an ideal coach to get him out of there. But there was a certain time where he just maxed out what he could do here. And, you know, the years beyond that, when he's, you know, in the 2016, 2017, 2018 um, run where they only have 19 wins, that's a slight, you know, blemish on the overall resume. But I still think that overall, looking back at Marvin Lewis, there will be more positive and negative thoughts. And it's more on Mike Brown and the Bengals management, not um, letting go when the time was right and kind of keep pressing on and trying to make something that w- that ultimately wasn't anything worthwhile keeping around for this long. So I think overall Marvin Lewis's re- legacy, it will still be restored in good faith by the vast majority of just, you know, logical Bengals fans like you, like us. Yeah. To, to the, the first question I asked you in terms of uh, were you surprised? I was a bit surprised. Uh, I, I thought that, they would give him one more year, maybe maybe get some of those guys back, get kind of the all-star assistant coach staff, you know, the Vance Johnson, the Hugh Jackson type of thing, um, and make one more run at it, let him finish out his contract. So I, in that, I was a little surprised. Um, very unbangles like and I, I'm sure that was a very tough decision for Mike Brown to make. And like you said about the legacy, I think I think over overwhelmingly, yeah, fans will be disappointed, but I think that 
there there has to be a level a pretty high level of respect for what Marvin Lewis did in mm-hmm. Cincinnati. There there really should. I'm not going to go too far into detail because earlier this week when the news broke about Marvin Lewis, I you know I did a little uh, short video and audio snippet just kind of relaying that and in, in that I talked about my thoughts kind of thanking him I guess uh, for what he did but I mean seven seven playoff berths in 16 seasons when the Bengals went like 11 or 12 seasons without a single one uh, right before him uh, a lot of people publicly credited him for doing things uh, modernizing the Bengals um, and there are what I worry about and I think we can talk about this a little later, but what I do worry about is now the guy that supposedly, now we don't, we're not in those walls, but the guy that was supposedly, you know, pushing that immovable object of Mike Brown to make some of these organizational changes. I mean, hell, we, we heard from TJ Hushmanzada before the season started about the, the jockstrap thing. Remember? I mean, it, mm-hmm. And, and Hoosh had said that, uh, you know, Marvin came in and it was night and day basically by the time 2003, 2004, 2005 rolled around in, in what the team was doing, how it was operating. So what I worry about is now that that guy is gone, that voice is gone, um, I worry that it's going to be, it's going to maybe start reverting to some of the old ways. And, uh, I, I don't now today's NFL is much different parodies, the, the, the name of the game, but, uh, I, I just, I wonder what that's going to be like without that supposed, supposed voice in Mike Brown's ear to say, no, we're going to do it this way. No, we're going to do it this way. Um, and that's, that's what I worry about. But I mean, Marvin Lewis, it, I've been approached by a lot of people lately, John, who have said, you know, that, oh, Mar- Marvin's finally gone. Are you just excited? And I, I, I kind of say, you know, if there was – my answer to them is if there were two people that I would love to see win a championship in terms of their character and in terms of the men that they are, it would be Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis. Unfortunately, I don't know that both men – have the abilities as either a starting NFL quarterback or an NFL head coach. We know Marvin's already won one, but as a defensive coordinator to win a championship. Uh, I just, I just don't know, you know, like you said, kind of good, good guy kind of takes you only so far. Right. Uh, right. And uh, that's kind of been my, my answer to people. I'm sure you've been approached by, by people as well on this. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to your point about, potentially reverting back to where they once were. I think um, in general, like just thinking about moving on past Marvin, I thought that once he's gone, they have to completely reset everything and take out all of his known associates, whether it be coaches and players away from the organization to kind of distance themselves from him. But at the same time, I also feel like that the legacy of Marvin Lewis for what he did to modernize, you know, at, the Bengals, who at who at the time when you know he was brought in, was at the very very bottom of professional sports, and he rose into somewhat a somewhat a level of decency and relevancy, and that's just a testament to how bad they once were. So I think that in general and, and, and from a macro standpoint, that Marvin Lewis taught Mike Brown a lot of things and, and a lot of ways of how to run an NFL organization, and just from his influence has helped them in the long run. And I think that those certain aspects, the good aspects at least, will 
continue to stay within the organization because I think that Mike knows that he can't go back to the ways that he did back in the nineties, yeah. even without even without Marvelous. But to to your point, the, the, I do agree that there has to be a, a certain voice that kind of continues pressing that message so that they don't end up, end up going back. But I do think that 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 those sort of things will continue to stay in there. And, and that's kind of part of the Marvin Lewis legacy in that organization. Yeah. And I think the hope for Bengals fans and Bengals management, Bengals players, the hope is that Margaret Marvin's legacy, and there's nothing wrong with this. And Marvin's legacy is a guy that can turn an absolute garbage dumpster fire team into a competitive one, a guy who can build the foundation. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in a new guy that maybe is a little better in game management, maybe is a little bit better, uh, you know, within, within practices, maybe isn't so hesitant, you know, the, all the, all the things we criticize Marvin about isn't so hesitant to play the young guys over a veteran. So he takes maybe some of those things that Marvin, that were weak points of Marvin and just builds upon a lot of the strengths that Marvin showed. And I've, I've said this to a lot of people too. I think when people ask me who is Marvin Lewis or what is to a Bengals fan, you know, I always say he's, he's Marty Schottenheimer. Um, you know, he's a guy who uh, not, not in the way of necessarily coaching style, but in the way that he can take a very, very bad team and get them consistently around nine wins around the playoffs. That's what Marty Schottenheimer did with the Browns. That's what he did with the chiefs. And that's what he did with the chargers. Uh, Unfortunately, Marty was also known as a guy who could not win the big games, could not win the championship. And uh, that's kind of where Marvin's at too, with the Bengals. Right. I want to end on this segment on this question with you, John, because we asked this in a Twitter poll. Uh, Do you think, that Marvin Lewis will get another coaching job this year. Uh, and, and in the poll, 59% said yes, 49, 41% said no. Uh, a little closer than I thought it would be. But um, there, there's two schools of thought here, right? I mean, it's either, man, he's been working his ass off for this franchise. And he is, you can see, he's tired, man. Mm-hmm. Um, he is tired. And he is tired of, the, tired of the criticism, tired of the questions about his job, security, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's not really a young guy anymore. I think he's in his like uh, mid sixties. Um, so on that stretch, he could be like, you know what? I, it just didn't, it didn't happen. Uh, or do you see him maybe being an effective college head coach? Maybe he's, uh, you know, with this father figure type of stuff we hear, maybe he, he's got some gravitas there with college players. Um, do you see him maybe being a consultant an assistant coach somewhere? Or is that kind of beneath him now that he has, so you know, you know what I mean. There's a lot of variables here. I'm not sure if I know Marvin the person well enough to to know if he would feel being like above just like an assistant or consultant because I think logistically that's like the best avenue for him if he were to continue coaching this year because I'm I'm unaware of the amount of openings that defensive coordinator around the league that there are. And obviously, there's going to be seven new staffs you know being built all across all across the league outside of Cincinnati. And potentially those seven new guys could want Marvin to be their defensive coordinator. But still, I mean, Marvin, I think, is going to be 60 or is 60 right now. And it, I, I just remember at the end of, uh, of Obama's, of Obama's um, uh, eight years as president, you could just see the difference like from when he was inaugurated to when he left and just the amount of stress and scrutiny that he, that he took. And just it, you could just visually see it. And it's, it's literally the same thing with Marvin Lewis. So at, at, at a certain point, I, I think that that – like it's just a year off to just reflect about where he is and just see if he could, if he still wants to press on would probably be the most likely thing to happen. But 
if he were to jump back in immediately, I can see him definitely as just either a linebackers coach or like a, def- a de- defensive consultant, because I'm, I'm not sure if he's quite ready enough to just jump into like a front office role with another team, or if he even wants to do that. I, I think he'll, he'll try to either take a year off to evaluate where he is, because I think at 61, he'll get some offerings in 2020, or he jumps back in as a, as a minor assistant role, because Honestly, I'm not sure if, if he feels he's above that or not, but I think he'd be damn good at it. So we've got a couple of interesting comments in the live YouTube chat. Uh, James Napke says Marvin Lewis will get a coordinator position somewhere, possible. Um, Michael Myers, I, don't, I can't tell if he's trolling me or what, but he says Marvin Lewis as the next head coach for USC. Um, and uh, that'd be interesting. Uh that that would just be interesting. Put it that way. And I want to, I want to, I want to say this, and this will be a good segue into our next segment. A comment from Vape Guy, who I think is, um, I think it's our good friend John from John from Kentucky. Uh, he says credit ba- Baker Mayfield for Marvin's firing. <laughs> Mike Brown ain't gonna be swept and trolled by the Browns. Plus, have you guys seen the PBS attendance? It's awful. Um, so. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's obviously kind of a factor. And uh, if you saw a tweet from Cat Terrell today of, of ESPN Cincinnati, we're giving her a lot of tips of the cap today. So Cat, Cat's a good one. I yeah, like she, yeah, she uh, she does a good job. She does a good job. Um, but uh, we should get her on the show sometime. We, we I don't know definitely we, try. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why we haven't done that. But at any rate, she put out a tweet saying that. She's getting the feeling that the people within the walls of Paul Brown Stadium are very, fam- very uh, attuned to fan attitudes, especially about some of the coaching candidates that uh, they are talking about interviewing that have gone out in the rumor mill. What are your thoughts on Marvin Lewis? You can get in touch with us in the live YouTube chat, as I, as I mentioned, as well as the comment thread on cincyjungle.com. You can also call or text us. 949-542-6241, and we'll try and get you on the air there. Um, or you can get in touch with us after the fact if you're not joining us live and uh, get in touch with us and download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, YouTube, and all of our stuff is also on cincyjungle.com. John, the latest news that I have seen, heard, and that you and I have reported on is that the Bengals actually have put out a number of feelers to a lot of interesting people. Uh, and I wanted to, that's why I talked about John from Kentucky's comment there to segue it into this. We're not going to spend a lot of time, if any, on the internal guys, but basically we, we've heard Bill Lazor, Darren Simmons, and Hugh Jackson are all getting interviews or, and or looks with the club uh, as internal guys to potentially take over the head coaching position. And I think that most fans at that would balk at every single one of those guys. Um, I, 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 unless you've got a disagreement there. Um, these are all Marvin guys, quote unquote. And if you want to really turn the page from the Marvin guys, you, you really can't hire some of these guys. In my opinion, I think you'd agree. Absolutely. Um, like I think Hugh had his interview like a couple hours ago. And I think Lance, Lance McAllister put out a tweet like, like, I don't know. I don't know what the backlash is with at least just interviewing like a guy like Darren Simmons, who's been with the, with the club for a number of years. You know, at, at, in the same in the same position, and honestly, a special teams coordinator, you know, has proven to make a good head coach. I think John Harbaugh is like the yep. best example of that. But at the same time, you know, 
it, when you look at the most successful hires around the league, you know, you want to look past just a long time special team coach within the organization. And again, when, when we're, we're talking about when we've dreamed about moving on from Marvin, we, we just always imagined it being someone completely new to hit that total reset button to bring in his own culture, to bring in his own guys. And even if Darren Simmons would be a, a competent a head coach, I think we would all prefer something completely fresh to see if they succeed or fail in that. And we don't have to say anything about Bill Lazor or Hugh Jackson for that matter, because I think we all have a unanimous um, opinion on the, on those matters. Yeah. Uh, what will be interesting is with laser. I mean, I don't know what the Bengals and this is just, you know, kind of an off whatever comment or situation that I'm wondering about is, you know, if, if, Mike Brown really wants Hugh Jackson to stick around, uh, makes him the offensive coordinator and fires Bill Lazor. It would be interesting if, you know, Bill Lazor goes from offensive coordinator to interviewing for the head coaching position to not being the offensive coordinator for the <laughs> team anymore. That just, that would be like the ultimate slap in the face. But um, I mean, they got to do their due diligence. They have to know they, although they probably do, but they have to know who they have in house Um and, you know, if there is a benefit there, it's knowing the culture, knowing the team, knowing the players on the roster and their strengths and weaknesses for, for each of one of those respective players. So there are some benefits there, but um, I think I think we're all in agreement that an outside hire, it, it worked last time with Lewis, right? I mean, that's not not necessarily the exact way that everybody wanted, but um, that's that's what brought about a much better era of Bengals football than, than the previous one. So um, I, th- I think the outside hires are... Uh, probably where everybody's leaning. So the rumors and or reported interest and or reported interviews from outside guys include Shane Waldron, who's the passing game coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, They have reached out to uh, Josh McDaniels to get permission uh, for him. Uh, Obviously the Patriots offensive coordinator Um, have not, I, I don't believe they scheduled anything with him. But uh, they, they've definitely – it's been reported that they want to interview him. Uh, Zach Taylor, who is another Rams product, the, the quarterback's coach of the Los Angeles Rams, uh, they have an interview set up with him. They have an interview set up with Vance Joseph. They have an interview set up, I believe, for Friday with Eric Bieniemy. Of those guys, because we could go on and on about all – all kinds of different options at the college level and all kinds of stuff. And we, we take forever, but of those guys, is there one that you say, yeah, that guy. It's the enemy. And I'm intrigued by both Taylor and Waldron for their own specific reasons, but just for what we can rationally expect um, as fans of the, of the organization, it still operates mainly in just how they've had in the past. Benny is probably the best guy because I think um, there was like, his wife is on record for saying that she loves Cincinnati and that's yeah, yeah. here. Obviously he has a history playing with the Bengals, but I don't think that matters as much. Um, but in terms, but there is, there is some connection there with him. Marvin Lewis was a coordinator or was a defensive coordinator when he was hired by the Bengals, you know, and BME has that coordinator experience, albeit for just one season, but the Andy Reid coaching tree is obviously very illustrious with Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy and even John Harbaugh again. Um, McDaniels intrigues me, but I think he's going to probably have to wait a couple years to to um kind of restore his rep after what he did to the Colts last season. And and again, both Taylor and, and Waldron intrigue me because I'm I'm I would be interested in, in diving into the McVay tree, but 
Uh, Taylor has just one season of coordinating, and it's for the Cincinnati Bearcats when they weren't really that good in 2016. And funny enough, Taylor was the guy that took over for Bill Lazor when Bill Lazor got fired in Miami. So he coordinated that offense for about five games, then moved on to Cincinnati, then went to Los Angeles. So I think a guy like Taylor would is definitely an, an intriguing option because you are if you are going to look for the next McVay, you might as well go to the source. And uh, McVay has been on record for saying that he's very crucial in their third down game planning. He's very um, not, not not controversial in their game plan, but he's very um, very open minded to his own kind of philosophies and McVay values that a lot. So he's got a mind of his own. He's not just the guy that kind of follows what he says. But that's also uh, the enemy. He doesn't call the plays for Kansas City, but he has a lot of influence in that offense. And I just think that based off a hire that they would make that that we would accept the enemy is probably the best choice because he is the hottest you know name on the market right now. And they definitely need someone with an offensive focus because even though the defense was as bad as it is, we've always wanted, you know, the potential on offense to get a lot better and definitely bring in a guy who's an offensive mind would probably want, you know, a quarterback with a higher ceiling than Andy Dalton after working with Pat Mahomes for a year. Yeah, it's, uh, just a, a side, and I'm old enough to remember this, but uh, when Enemy was with the Bengals, there's a little side note. He was a guy that was known as an absolute monster in the weight room. Just an absolute, like, I'm talking putting up hundreds and hundreds of pounds on the bench and, and <laughs> just like an absolute monster. But he's he's a shorter, stockier guy, so you can, you know, you can kind of get the arms up quicker. But he was known to put up a lot of weight, and that was like one of the big things – one of the original muscle hamsters. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> man. Uh, and in his playing days, he was he was a he was a built dude. He's kind of let himself go a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, that's that's neither here nor there, <laughs> except for maybe he can he can get in guys' faces in the weight room a little bit since he was a monster there. But are you concerned? Because you touched on it. Are you concerned that he is not called plays in an offense? He has one year of offensive coordinator experience at the NFL level, basically. Um, does that concern you? And if he is the guy, or you know, it sounds like he's your preferred guy, or do you worry that he's doing this? He'll take the interview, and it's only for leverage. Granted, that could be any coach, but I say this because Biennemi knows Mike Brown. Biennemi knows the shortcomings of the Cincinnati Bengals. He was in that locker room. He played there. And he, I mean, is this just something, granted, it could be his first head coaching gig and he's just like psyched about it. But do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, no, this, yeah. this this could be something where it's like, uh, you know, he seems to be the tops of a lot of fans wish lists. And he may just be completely against coming here. I don't know that, but uh, he was here at a really bad time of Bengals football. And that's completely understandable. He could just be taking the interview out of a professional courtesy for a team that he already played for because he declined an interview with the Cardinals and like he already has it. He's interviewed with the with the Jets, the Bucks. He'll interview with the Dolphins. Uh, today's Wednesday. He'll, he'll interview on t- on Thursday, and then he'll interview with them on Friday. So he's got four interviews in three days, and he's still game planning for a, a game in a week and a half. So he's a very busy man at this time, and I think he knows that you know he's got a lot of leverage with him because he's the hottest name on the market right now. And he can probably go wherever he really wants to because there is there is a lot of good precedent set with the Andy Reid coaching tree. And yeah, while he hasn't called plays, I'm pretty sure Matt Nagy didn't call plays um, last year in 2017 when the Alex Smith offense went off. I think Doug Peterson was the quarterback's coach or some type of consultant under Andy Reid. 
And you know, so I, I don't think the, the strictly, you know, actually calling the plays is a, a, a necessary requirement. Obviously, McVeigh did that with Washington under under Jay Gruden and with Kirk Cousins, and that's something that you know um, d- definitely helped him out. You know, tra- transition as as a young head coach, as a first time head coach. So yes, that, that's that's kind of a risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking when you're talking about you know where he's where he's come from, who has developed him, how you know. Just the overall path that he's taken up to where up to get to this point, and he's definitely had influence on that offensive explosion. And it will take a lot of components that he learned from there to wherever he goes. And you know, Cincinnati has a lot of similar pieces to that Kansas City offense, albeit some of them haven't stayed healthy and some of them aren't exactly at that degree of talent. But you know, you you can do similar things with Tyreek Hill that you do that, that you can do similar things with John Ross that you can do with Tyreek yeah. Hill. You know, Joe Mixon's a talented runner in his own right. Tyler iPhone healthy. He's at least comparable to Travis Kelsey, I guess. So the, the pieces are are there. They can still add a lot more because the Chiefs are just not on their level. But I think the enemy would see that and be intrigued and take kind of what he's learned from Bree, just like Peterson and Nagy have done before him. And I think that's a risk worth taking. Yeah. So he's he's one of the tops for me as well. Um, I just I, I you know coming from that team and that offense, I think, uh, and and that would lead to potentially some changes on offense, both for maybe some positional changes, but also, like you said, uh, a potential rise in production out of guys like Ross. Um, so it, it, from that perspective, I, you know, I'm, I'm for him. He's not a popular guy, but I, there's, there's some things about Josh McDaniels that intrigue me. Um, for one, the Patriot way, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, uh, he knows that system, that thing in that the way they do things intimately, um, now he tried to implement that as a really young guy with the Broncos, and that did not go over well. Um, that that tenure ended pretty bad, uh, pretty badly. But he could come in here. Uh, I don't know. Do some implement a system that that kind of makes sense. Maybe even use Andy Dalton to immense strengths and uh, make him. You know, there's there's a lot of things there. Yeah, character stuff. Whether it's uh, handling of Brandon Marshall, whether it's bailing on the on the Colts job whether it's all the stuff with the Patriots the videotaping stuff the the you know the deflate gate all that kind of stuff um so th- there's some concerns there but that name does intrigue me personally as well um with these other guys John the the Waldrons the Zach Taylors um I saw earlier earlier on Wednesday Cliff Kingsbury, the, the former Texas Tech coach who accepted the offensive coordinator job at USC, is now getting some looks as a potential head coach. I think it was for the Jets and the Cardinals to get interviews there. My concern is this. Everybody's obsessed with getting the next Sean McVay. And, and they should be because McVay is a very promising coach. He hasn't really won too many big things yet, but – they seem poised to obviously make a championship run this year. Very sharp guy, young, inspiring, smart. Um, so obviously you want to try and find another guy like that. There's two guys off of his tree here. Um, I just worry, not just, I mean, well, I don't really worry about other teams per se, but I worry for the Bengals that these kind of, if they do go that route, might it be a reach? Um, there are people like myself who are old enough, barely old enough, to remember the David Shula debacle 
um, where he was a young, inexperienced coach. He was an assistant who was a descendant of one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. And, uh, you know, so they, they deemed him worthy of this job, and he was an utter disaster. Um, I'm not saying it, these guys will go that route per se, but there's just a reach factor there that worries me. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, I obviously wasn't old enough or maybe even alive to see Dave Shula, but... Rub it in, buddy. Rub it in. But... McVeigh, like me, he's a millennial, and he kind of operates kind of like one, and he has the butt. And the main thing that kind of se- separates McVeigh from the rest is just his acumen in general, just extensive knowledge and memory of just the most random things that you can possibly think of. He's that special of just the mind and has that, you know, top 1%, you know, drive and, and, and just and, – and just overall intellect for the game of football. And that's what has made him successful as a 32 year old head coach, something that not everyone, a lot of people didn't think he would be able to do at this point in his career. Like like the McVeigh hire at the time was definitely not revered to the level that it should right. be because he did have a lot of inexperience. You know, he was just 30 years old and he was like a furious after being just a lowly assistant. And then he worked his way up to offensive coordinator with the Redskins. And so he did have play calling experience. He did that, had that under his belt, unlike, you know, Taylor and Waldron and who have been with him for the past couple of years. So there is that d- obvious difference. But if they hire or if any team hires Taylor or Waldron as a head coach, then obviously they're going to they're going to compare him naturally to McVeigh and, and see what ha- what McVeigh has rubbed off on him in terms of just overall intellect and just way of doing things. And if they do get that opportunity, then we can give them the benefit of the doubt that they see something special in those guys as well, in the way that they and the way that they operate with such inexperience, and in and how they could potentially, you know, be a leader of fifty-three men in a, in a locker room, even though they're not that much older than all of them. I think Taylor's thirty-five, Waldron's thirty-nine. Both have been graduate assistants and worked their way up to, you know, some some minor role in, in running an offense. So that de- definitely going to be a risk because they don't have that factors that McVeigh has. We don't know. You know personally what what these guys what these guys are and what kind of 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 you know major coaches they would be. But if they were to be given that chance, then we can almost we we won't, we won't be able to assume. But I think we would have a pretty good idea that these guys are special minds, and I think that's the one thing that separated McVay, and that would be very important in judging the, a, a potential hire of them. Yeah, look, I mean, I I understand that I sound a bit hypocritical when I'm saying, oh, Josh McDaniels would bring you know, the Patriot way, maybe to the Bengals and all of that. Well, these guys have studied under McVay and they, and with him. Uh, so they could bring some of that excitement and that passion and that creativity to the Bengals offense as well. Um, you know, to me, Jared Goff is, he's probably better than Andy Dalton, but I don't, I don't see him as necessarily an elite player at this point. I see that he has immense talent around him. He's very good. But he's got immense talent around him, including an offensive line, a lot of pieces they added on defense. He's got a lot of receiving weapons. And what they do is they spread things out. He's got Gurley behind him, and they can just do a lot of different things given the players they have. Um, So, I mean, those guys could bring in the Rams' philosophy, what they've been running the past couple of years, and and do it that way. But uh, I don't know. I just – I guess for every McVay – where I'm kind of going with this, for every McVay, there's a Dennis Allen. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these other guys that were young and up and coming guys, and they were just in over their heads. And even though the Bengals have had three, you know, losing seasons in a row, you, you 
there are some talented players on this roster. They do need to add a lot more, but you would hate to see this team take another huge step back because they hired the wrong guy, obviously. Um, and I, it, it, this is a tough decision for the franchise to make and, uh, you know, the wrong decision here, whether it's one of these Rams guys. And it, I don't want to just pile on those guys. It's just, for me, it's a little easier target to bring up because um, younger, inexperienced, all that stuff. And um, But a lot of teams seem interested in those guys. Um, you know, I think, I think Zach Taylor especially, Waldron is another guy some teams are interested in. So they're getting some looks and, and getting some interviews, I think. So, uh, I mean, the Bengals are – at least going after some of the big names that are that are out there, which is which is pretty good to see. Uh, we'll see where they what direction they go. It's probably going to be, I would think, we probably won't find out anything until at least next week, maybe even longer. But I, I said this on our little um, tidbit show that we had earlier this week. I, I think that probably with the NFLPA Bowl coming up in mid-late January, with the Senior Bowl coming up, the Combine coming up, I think the Bengals, even though they said it could take several weeks, quote-unquote, I think the Bengals want to get this decision done soon Mm -hmm. and a staff in place soon so that when they go to these types of events, they have the coaches in place, the guys in place, especially because this organization really relies on its coaching staff more heavily in the scouting right. process than, than some other teams. So um, I, I think that they want all those guys in place and, and we'll see. So um, some interesting names coming up there or uh, that have been brought up as the Bengals potential candidates for um the coaching job, as I said, the internal candidates, Bill Lazor, Hugh Jackson, Darren Simmons, and then uh, Eric Bieniemy, Zach Taylor, Mark Waldron, uh, Josh McDaniels. Those are some of the other names being, uh, being talked about or have they've set interviews with. Um, so uh, again, I don't expect maybe by next week's show, we, we, we could have some form of news in terms of who the Bengals will bring as head coach, but I don't, I don't know if it'll even happen then. We'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Gazenza. He's John Sharon. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Art19, and uh, YouTube, and CincyJungle.com. We're going to get to a segment in just a second, but we've got a call on the line. Hi, this is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? It's John from Kentucky. Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year, sir. Good to hear from you, sir. Uh, I'm sure you, knowing knowing you as long as I have, uh, John from Kentucky, I, I would assume you have to be absolutely ecstatic with the Marvin Lewis news. You know, uh, my son texted me that morning and said, the Marvin Lewis era has ended. And I texted back, what do you mean? He said, Mike Brown just fired Marvin Lewis. I said, son, ha-ha, it's a little early for April Fool's. <laughs> he says, no, it ain't no fools. Get on the Cincy Jungle side. Anyway, and so it happened. And, yeah, I was ecstatic, and I texted some of my fellow Bengals fans, and they couldn't really believe it. And, you know, we've been watching this game for a long time. And, um, yeah, I was ecstatic. But then, you know, when I – Calmed down, and I took a realistic look at the situation. And you had just mentioned this comment earlier that I talked. Yeah, and Baker Mayfield, the Browns, he was trolling us. Not just you, but really the whole Bengals team. The Browns yeah. said they went to Thomas, and they did it. Uh, all the empty seats at Paul Brown Stadium. Now, Mike Brown does. 
history of Mike's father, Paul Brown, and the Cleveland Browns, correct? He was fired. Okay. He was devastated over that. You know, you know that, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he started, the, the, he started the team, and then Modell came in and basically pulled the rug out from under him and fired him, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that happened, you know, a long time ago in the 1960s. That generation of people, man, if you got fired from a job back then, it's not like it is now where, you know, people get fired, they go get another job, they get on the big back then. Oh, my gosh. It was a blow to your ego. People were just devastated. Oh, you were fired from your job. What did you do? So, you know, it was just the Brown family really suffered. So, anyway, to get on with it here, I just think Mike Brown, or I like the thing, thought, look, I will not be trolled by Brown. <laughs> uh, Mr. Lewis is going to be finding himself another job <laughs> at the end of this season. And that's what I like to think, anyway. And it did happen, and it just so happened. Like I said, this was the first time Marvin Lewis was ever swept by the Browns. Mm-hmm. And he's no longer coaching with the Bengals now. Yep. And I appreciate you letting me make that point. Yep, absolutely, John. Uh, thanks for calling in. We'll uh, we'll we'll comment about this on on the air here. Uh, appreciate you calling in, and uh, yeah, don't be. Great. And you know what, Anthony? What's good too? Is we, we finally have something new to talk about. Tell me about it. <laughs> yes, and I hope this new coach, whoever it is, I just hope he motivates the team to play. Cincinnati has good players. Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you. Uh, so that was that was our good friend John from Kentucky. Always an entertaining phone call, and we had to we had to take that one there. Um, a- any thoughts? Any additional thoughts, uh, John, about what John from Kentucky said about the? Uh, obviously, we talked about this previously about how the Browns game was may have weighed heavily on the decision in terms of potentially bringing back Marvin Lewis, and the Bengals utterly failed in both of those games. Well, first of all, it's 2019, and I think we should finally, on the show, put the put this part of the show as the John for Kentucky segment, because it's just a weekly tradition at this point. So, John for Kentucky, shout out to you. We should definitely try to name this segment after you now. But yeah, um, I, it, it was something that I thought about after they lost that second Browns game. Like, I know Mike Brown is not okay losing to the Browns because of the history, but I just, I just wasn't sure if he was capable enough of doing the right thing and you know doing the one thing that a lot of us wanted him to do for so many years and so it was like it was just the unstoppable force meeting the unmovable object in my mind when i was thinking about mike brown's thought process and i guess one side just kind of overpowered the other one and it was the it ended up being the logical right decision so kudos to him again for just doing that but i guess it really speaks to a testament about how much that loss kind of impacted him and i think that's something that's that, that should be worth you know celebrating and, and and i guess when when you hold you know mike brown mike brown to such a low standard that we do and that makes sense to me 
Makes sense to me as well. Uh, I like I said, and, and John brought up a good point. John's a longtime Bengals fan, and and like uh, like he said, the Bengals. It's just kind of unacceptable to, especially in Mike Brown's eyes. Uh, it's kind of unacceptable for the the team to lose to the Browns in the way that they did to get swept in this in a season by the Browns. Now the Bengals have lost, I think some back to back games, but it was like you know, one game in one season and then the first game of the next season. So they weren't, you know, I guess that's a sweep in a way, but not really because it's not in the same season, but it's the first time it had happened since 2002. And we all know that 2002 was one of the worst seasons in Bengals history. Uh, before we get to our next segment and maybe a couple of other listener questions uh, towards the end of the program, we've got another uh, another regular caller here. It's, uh, it's Terrell. Uh, call, giving us a call, Terrell. How are you, sir? How did how did you how did you take the Marvin Lewis news? Uh, I mean, I was I mean I was happy for like five minutes, and then after about a while, I don't even think about it. Um, he will be missed a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But, but uh, other than that, though, uh, I mean, Marvin was just uh, uh old fashioned though. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? And, um, the big guy, um, like slow linebacker, like Ray Lewis. And on top of that, though, like, I, I just, I do want an offensive line coach. And I want a, a, a new guy, like a fresh new guy, too. Um, I mean, uh, I like what John said. He did like Eric Ben. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced his last name right. But, uh, Eric Benini. And, um, and the uh, assistant from the Rams, that's cool too. And they keep going, uh, talking about what he ain't calling no plays with the other guy from the space. They calling no plays with the other guy from the space. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, um, and, 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 and I just want somebody that I like, I like, if, if he can at least turn uh, John Ross into uh, uh, just half a Tyreek Hill. He did. Come on now. Yeah. And we did it. Yep. And yep. then, then putting put Gio, and they, they, they do good with their quarterbacks, too. Because all of them could keep catching the Kansas City. So they could put Gio, and they set on the same time, on the same place, not just on the same drive, like one or two times. I'm talking about all of them. Yep. And, and, and then, uh, the, the Andy Reid system has usually been quite friendly to versatile running backs and, uh, you know, getting the ball, yeah, getting getting the ball out. Um, we're we're a little pressed on time, Terrell. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. Appreciate you calling in, man. Who day, buddy? Uh, that was Terrell, frequent caller, and uh, always always good to hear from him. I the one thing I I, I want to talk about. I mean, he he brought up a lot of good points there in terms of what needs to happen. Number one. Yeah, it's using the guys effectively on that are on the roster and getting more out of them. Number two, it's not with like the unfortunately we keep talking about the 2015 draft class not whiffing on those picks in rounds one to three. Um, you know, you, you can't keep whiffing on these on these big picks uh, when you're relying on the draft. You just can't do it. But it all kind of adds up also to what he said. You know, the slower, bigger linebackers, the thumpers, all that kind of stuff. I don't really necessarily want us word it this way but do you think the game in a way passed marvin lewis by absolutely absolutely i think we always we always talked about his inability to evolve to modern times and while 
good point would be, you know, in the more successful years that he's been here, he's had the courtesy of leaning on some quality coordinators, whether it be Jay Gruden, Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackson, um, and on defense like Mike, uh, Mike, Mike Zimmer and Paul Gunther in his first couple years here. So when they had success, they had good coordinators for to help out Lewis, you know, game plan and call plays and whatnot. But from a general sense, you know, when you're talking about the duties that Marvin Lewis had as a coach, whether it be, you know, in-game decision-making or just roster building in general, the tendencies took a long time to kind of evolve into the modern game. And honestly, yeah, I, I do think in, in a way that, you know, he tried for as long as he could to make it work from the way that he wanted, wanted to run things and whatever. But again, just like every everybody, that he was just had to adapt to the times. And unfortunately, not only was it too late, he just wasn't effective at doing that. So I think j- just in that reason alone, it was time for him to go be- beyond just the lack of success beyond a-, a division title. But I definitely do think that from a roster builder and just from a coach who just manages in-game decision-making, it-, it was definitely just a case of him being stuck in a time period where he was successful once, but he just wasn't anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, on top of that, they just couldn't build an identity on, uh, you know, what they were trying to do on offense or too many times where Mixon didn't get enough touches and then he did. And then it just what they were trying to do was all over the map. And granted, injuries played a factor into that. But, uh, you know, you got to kind of have a plan and and an identity. And, and the Bengals really haven't had that since 2015. And, um, you know, that it shows in their record. So thanks for the calls. We're going to try and take more towards the end of the show as well. Before we do, I want to talk about this, uh, John, the, the, basically it's about, you know, we've been talking about these coaches and who they're going to hire, who they're bringing in for interviews, all that kind of stuff. It's basically now about trust. And, uh, it's about who Mike Brown trusts. It's about who the other figureheads in management trust in, in terms of coaching this team and then them bringing in other assistants that will coach this team. But it's also about, you know, fans and people who follow the Bengals and us being able to trust Mike Brown because uh, in some ways he has not been the most trustworthy guy, whether it's the stadium deal that occurred years ago, he was kind of, you know, not being the, the nicest guy at that point to the city um, and, and other issues, um, you know, he, he hasn't been the most cuddly of guys with his players. Some players, yes, some players no. but do you trust him? We kind of touched on it earlier. Do you trust him to make another sage decision like he did with Lewis now, granted, he could have potentially had Tom Coughlin at the time, and Tom Coughlin went on to, went on to win two Super Bowls. But um, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. But do you trust him to kind of make the right decision once again? Trust him to kind of give the keys of the team to a head coach, empower him. Uh, I mean, there, there's a possibility because obviously Mike Brown is on board with Hugh Jackson. He really likes Hugh Jackson. There's a possibility that the a guy comes in, gets gets a head coaching job here, and oh by the way, you're you're keeping Hugh Jackson on your staff. You're keeping Bill Lazor on your staff because I say so. Um, do you trust that he's going to be open about it? And the fact, maybe I hate to say it this way, that he's pretty old and he wants to see a championship before he goes. Um, maybe that is where he's going to be like, fine, do your thing. I, I, I'm hesitant, personally. Yeah, that- Definitely the pain, believe it or not, Mike Brown was, is on a winning streak right now because, because he fired Marvin Lewis. And I guess that creates a benefit of the doubt 
And I guess it just depends on how big of the benefit of the doubt you want to give to Mike Brown. It could be as small as an eraser. It could be as big as, as the moon. And I think it's just based off your preference. But I guess we don't really have a choice. We just kind of have to at this point because, yeah, the last time they hired a head coach, head coach they looked at the, at the hottest ca- candidates out there and hired a pretty decent one to Marvin Lewis and eventually progressed them to where they are now. Now they have to progress from where they are now to a legitimate contender. And that's going out and getting another high-profile head coaching candidate to do things his own way and to eventually, you know, establish a certain amount of power in the organization. I, I, like, none of again, none of us really expected this day to actually come, but now that it does, you have to kind of just th- sit back and think maybe he's just going to do the thing that he did last time and just go out and get the best guy available. And a lot of the perception now is that you know they just they just hire from within, but that was just with Marvin Lewis and you know, promoting his assistance to kind of keep, you know, the thing going that eventually wasn't going to turn into anything bigger than what it already was. But now this is, whole, this is a whole new different thing is, you know, as much as maybe we don't want to, to admit it or don't want to accept it because we don't want to get disappointed again, this is a whole new transition that they haven't experienced since 2002, 2003. So, yeah, I think there is a benefit of the doubt that you have to give, Mar- have to give Mike Brown at this moment. And until he screws up, you know, you just... There is a historical precedent that we can look back on and kind of have some glimmer of confidence. But again, like like Terrell like mentioned, you know, after the first five minutes of realizing that Marvin Lewis is gone, there was a certain level of fear that kind of just sat with us because where like where did we go from here? Because we haven't seen this in 16 years, and we don't know if Mike Brown is going to do the same thing that he did last time, even though that's the right thing to do. So there's a lot of uncertainty here, and it just really depends on you know how much how much of your excitement for marvin lewis's departure kind of carries over to your overall trustworthiness of of him to make the right decision going forward um (laughs) jason von von stein in the live youtube chat earlier said can you imagine if mike brown hires an ipad and a trench coat that would be uh, (laughs) that's that's pretty funny um i I, I'm hesitant, man. I just I, there there are yeah. there are still there are still some things that this organization does or does not do that is not the norm for championship football. That's not that it's just not the norm. Um, I, I probably sound like a broken record, and everybody who's read my stuff or has listened to this show or other shows I've been on for years, I've been a, a big free outside free agency guy. I hate to sound like you know, keep talking about it ad nauseum, but it's, it's kind of true. They just, they, they don't do enough in outside free agency and they're not aggressive enough in the draft and they don't, you know, there's other shortcomings internally in terms of, you know, if you want to do the indoor practice facility thing, if you want to have other beefs, there's stuff that they should do that they should have and they do not do it. So, and that's squarely on the decision of the owner. And he has made that clear. He doesn't believe that there's much of a use of an indoor practice facility to build one of those. He's made it clear that they like the draft and develop strategy. Um, I I just, I don't know. And and we've seen also the other thing, and I I think you touched on it, John, is the, the loyalty aspect that he already showed to Marvin Lewis. And does that trickle over into some of these guys internally who are getting head coaching interviews for the team. Um, I, 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 You said this a couple of shows ago, John, and I'm just going to reiterate it, but if you are going to move on from Marvin, completely move on from him. Yeah. I don't 
I, I think, uh, and I don't want to steal your thunder by saying that, buddy, but uh, I just, I think that. I wasn't the first. <laughs> well, I just, I just think that you got to completely move on. Um, yeah. And I don't think, uh, now whether that includes the quarterback or other players, that's one thing. I don't know. But I mean, in terms of staff and, and hiring one of these guys that is a Marvin guy, I, I don't see the point. Yeah, me neither. And it's completely fair to be hesitant because it's like pulling teeth with this team. Like as soon as, as soon as you think they're about to turn the corner, they kind of take two steps back and put you right back down in the dirt. And that's always going to be the fear when you have a guy like Mike Brown running the show. But again, he is 83 instead of what, like 67 at the time that he, that he hired Marvin. He has seen the steps that this team is taking, you know, taking it over Marvin's tenure. So I think, even for a guy that's as incompetent as he is in, as an owner, I think he has to realize that there, there are certain um, future steps that he needs to take. And now he has a little bit more of, you know, a support group in, in the, in the Blackburns and even do Tobin for that matter, just from running the football show and operations and things. And yeah, there'll always be the, that, that those aspects that, you know, we always want him to do more of being in a small market and just, you know, coming up to the basic level of franchise competency as other, you know, average NFL organizations and that'll, that'll always be a thing with him. And I still don't think that he's, he's a good owner, even though he did the thing that we always wanted him to do. But yeah, I, I, I just like, like even giving Hugh Jackson an interview kind of just pissed me off because it, it just felt like he hasn't learned anything from that and, and just hasn't really been, and maybe is as tone deaf as we think he is. But again, like I, there are people that, that will say that, you know, they did this last time and we, and we should, you know, trust that they're going to at least try to do it again. And if it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen, then we can proclaim that we're right. But it, it's just, honestly, it just feels like a leap of faith. I mean, it. I would, I would prefer to just them have stuck with Marvin for another year. If they're going to go the Hugh Jackson. The, yeah. the, I mean, it just, you might as well have just kept Marvin, tried to load up at the assistant coach level. Um, I don't know if I feel that strongly about Vance Joseph on that front as I do uh, Hugh Jackson, Bill Lazor, Darren Simmons. Um, but I still have that feeling. Um, I just, I, it's going to take, and Marvin, God bless him, he was this way uh, throughout his tenure, especially the early parts. It's going to take probably someone young, probably someone who is incredibly charismatic that walks in that door to really wow Mike Brown and to really say, okay, let's, we got to do what this guy says. Uh, we got to do, we got to do, maybe that's a McDaniels who comes from the Patriots, by the way, the Bengals and uh, the Patriots actually, you know, ownership wise and um, you know, Belichick and Marvin Lewis had, had a good relationship. And I think, Robert Kraft and Mike Brown are, are, have a good relationship as well. Maybe there's something there where you, you know, you say, well, that's, you know, this young, younger guy, he's in his early forties, this younger guy's coming in, he brings that Patriot way. Maybe that's what it takes. Maybe it's the excitement of what the Rams and the chiefs do on offense to, to get that. If we know anything, Mike Brown really loves quarterbacks and he really loves wide receivers. He loves the passing game. His dad did as well. So, um, you know, maybe it's going to take, you know, that offensive mind this time around uh, to, to kind of shape them. Um, 
I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm very hesitant on I, one thing that's making me optimistic is that they are going after some of these hot names, these younger guys that's making me optimistic, but I, I hate to say it. I just don't, I don't fully trust them. I really oh, don't. For sure. And I think Vance Joseph is getting like two days here in the interview process, because I think it's more than just about him potentially vying for the head coaching spot. It was said like, like other opportunities basically. So it could have been like for potentially being the defensive coordinator if they were to go. Like, I'd be on board with that. I'd right? be like, on board with that. Like, he's not, he's not, the, he's not like the best defense coordinator, but I think you could definitely do worse and you could probably do worse than Marion Sosa head coach. But again, he doesn't bring, he doesn't bring any like sort of excitement because he is a former assistant under Mike, under Marvin Lewis. And he did, didn't have the, the, the most success as Denver's head coach. And I don't, I don't think he probably should have gotten fired after two years, but Again, I, I I just want someone new. You know, I want someone who d- doesn't have any history with the Bengals, at, like as a coach, who preferably in my in my mind has never been a head coach. I want to give someone a new a new chance to kind of do something new because if anything, the Bengals just need a fresh start in the most freshest of ways possible. And if that's a guy who has never who doesn't have necessarily the experience uh, of a former head coach, that's fine by me as long as you know, he brings his own way and he, he's able to successfully build a team in 2019, I'm all, I'm all for it. And whoever they choose who fits that criteria, then, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and dive in. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here uh, because I don't really, I'm, I'm thinking about some names and I don't really know where I would go with this, but do you have someone that you can think of that's a dark horse candidate for this job that is not either the team has not reported interest, asked permission to interview, or uh, have uh, have set up an interview. Is there anybody in my I mean, If you don't, that's fine. But because uh, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have a dark horse candidate that's like, ooh, maybe this guy can? Whether it's a retread guy, um, I don't know. Uh I, I, I feel like if I were, I feel like if I sat down and think about it, I probably would. Be able to get up the name, but I, I don't really have it this time. Um, I, I I don't know because I like initially I would think of maybe someone from the college ranks because they don't normally hire guys straight out of college. But like 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 the the, the Jay Green hire comes to mind as someone <clears throat> that not a lot of people expected because he came out of the what, what, like the CFL or uh, arena, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. The the arena league, and I think a lot of people at that time wanted like his brother to to potentially come on. So. Jay Green was was definitely a surprise, and I think that they do you know some decent research in t- in terms of of finding a, a, at least assistance in that mind. So you know if not one of these Ram guy, Rams guys, I think they'll look at other successful offenses like like m- maybe some somebody else from Reed's staff on the Chiefs, or maybe maybe even someone else from the Patriots. I think that they're looking in the right in the right spots, and they're asking for the right kinds of people. And if they don't work out, I think that they'll continue to search for kind of guys like that. And I think there's a lot more than, you know, that than we can see on the surface of the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's a couple guys I, I can think of, I guess, uh, Steve Wilkes, the guy who was just fired from Arizona. He's a yeah. guy that, that, uh, I don't think got a fair shake at all. Uh, no, that, no, no, no. that roster was torn apart when he got there and then he gets one year quarterback positions, a mess, you know, rookie quarterback and they let him go. I, I, so, um, that's a guy I think w- would be interesting. And, you know, you mentioned how they're looking at some of the perennial teams that are at least uh, as of somewhat recently being pretty good, the Rams, the Patriots. Um, 
why not look at someone at the Steelers? I mean, there's not really the big names, but I mean, that's the team you got to start beating. Maybe the Ravens as well. You know, those are the teams you got to make sure you beat in this division every year. Yeah, the Browns are pretty good this year, but every year um, there seems to be those seem to be the guys at the top. And why not get a guy that maybe knows consistently how to beat the the teams, know those cultures to bring that over to the Bengals. The Bengals seem to want to emulate certain forms of those teams, um, including keeping continuity at head coach, which is a Steelers staple, a Ravens staple. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. That's that, that that's maybe another place I, I think the Bengals could mine if they start doing these interview interviews and aren't really blown away by anybody. But we'll see. There's a lot of different uh, – I saw some people in the live YouTube chat say, uh, you know, David Shaw from Stanford and even Mike Zimmer, um, who is who is still, by the way, employed as the head coach yeah. for the Vikings. Uh, so that would require like a trade or something. And if you know Zim, uh, he was he was popping off at the mouth shortly after the season, uh, saying some interesting things about management. But I think they want to keep him there. And, um, you know, I, I, I think he's a good coach. So uh, I think he's staying there. We're going to get out of here because we're running long on time. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Uh, we appreciate the phone calls we received and all of the interaction, all of the live viewers. We had a lot of live viewers tonight, so that was pretty cool. Um, so we appreciate all of the interaction and the calls and everything. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can get it on Art19. You can get it at Cincy Jungle, and of course, all of our videos are on YouTube as well. So get the show how you can. We appreciate it. John, any any final thoughts before we, we close up shop here? We've been uh, chatting about coaches for about an hour. Wow. Um, this show kind of flew by. <laughs> uh, any, any, I don't know, any final thoughts either, either about Marvin or these guys or maybe even what you saw on Sunday against the Steelers? I tell you what, man. Like we, we we've both been busy just covering the site, but this has been the longest like three days of my life. Just be, the longer that Hugh Jackson is, <laughs> hasn't been hired by the Bengals, the longer I think that it's going to happen. So I, I'm going to need something else to do besides besides running the website with Jason to kind of pass the time to alleviate my stress. And I'm sure you need something to do too. Yeah, I mean the the last thing that you want. You know, so many, it, it would just be so Bengals like if they had, you know, a decent coach in, in the, in their arms for years and years and years, fans want them gone for, you know, some, some pretty legitimate reasons. They run them out of town. Then they struggle to find, they do, they get on this carousel like the Browns where they just can't find the guy. Um, and that would just be the ultimate nightmare. It would be very Bengals-like for us longtime fans and cynics. Um, so the, you know, that would just be not not ideal, to say the least, if that's what comes of this. And that could happen if some of these internal guys get hired and, um, you know, potentially there's there, the, the results are not good on the field. I do want to say this. For the new year, and this might be a little surprise to my co-host, but we're going to try and bring you more frequent content aside from just the the weekly one-hour show. Uh, I think what you potentially have joined in for uh, on this past Monday 
uh, where, you know, some, I, I think we're going to do like a weekly news briefing of, of Bengals. That's, that's an idea I'm floating around, whether it's big news or just kind of news about the Bengals and around the division, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, may, maybe another thing in there as well. So we want to, we want to pump out some different stuff. Um, I think this roundtable show between John and I, and we bring in other guests and, and whatnot. Um, I, I think that's great. And we're going to continue to do that um, as well. Uh, but I, I think bringing doing these other shorter uh, little snippet shows, we want to start doing that, get you some news notes, all that kind of stuff. So keep your eyes and ears open for that. We're going to try and get per the request of the fans. We're going to try and get some, some more guests, um, whether it's from other teams whether it's uh, former Bengals, current Bengals, that sort of thing. We're going to try and get more of that. We had some high-profile ones towards the beginning of the season this year in Anthony Munoz and Willie Anderson. Then as the season got going, we got we just put the pedal to the metal and we didn't get too many other actual Bengals players. So I have some in mind. I don't want to say on the air uh, and over-promise and under-deliver, under but uh, we'll, we'll try and get that. Uh, we'll try and get that going for you as well. So uh, just want to bring you – the best show possible, bring you, uh, you know, some, some good guests. And obviously, uh, you don't have to hear from us two knuckleheads all the time, I guess. Uh, well, personally speaking, you're not a knucklehead, John. I'm, I'm the knucklehead. But... Oh, you don't know me that well. <laughs> um, but that's just a little, little side note for everybody who watches this show and downloads it regularly. We're going to try and get some different stuff going for the new year, something we want to do and, and help, uh, help build the show round it out a little, a little bit, I think. And, um, we'll, we'll keep doing that. So pay attention for that and uh, get them on the channels that we mentioned earlier. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all of your questions, comments, phone calls, all that stuff. Uh, we will definitely be keeping you apprised of what happens in the Bengals coaching search, the interviews, all that stuff, not only on this show, but on cincyjungle.com. We have a tracker of all the, the coaching stuff and all of the news, notes, opinions, analysis, all that stuff is there. So check it out. And uh, we appreciate all of the support that you continue to show this program as well as that website. And uh, we look forward to giving you more content, even though it is technically the offseason for the Cincinnati Bengals. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you next time. I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.